Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Well, hello there, and welcome to, or welcome back to, Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the proverbial cool kids table. I started this podcast now over five years ago with the intent of bringing interviews with really smart people who are doing cool things in the world of business. We have talked to people in every possible industry that you can imagine over the last five years, and I have learned one thing, and that is success leaves clues. When we get a chance to have a conversation with somebody who is doing something and being successful and making changes, they can't help it. They have to leave an idea, a theory, and a nugget behind, and we're able to pick up on a little bit of that and take it into our own careers. And I think today is going to be one of those shows. So today's guest is Scott Grayson. Now, he is the executive director of APWA, that is the American Public Works Association, and they have been one of my favorite clients for the last three years. Uh, three years ago, I was the opening keynote speaker at their large PWX event, which is about 5,000 people who work for and around cities in the area of public works, which is your bridges, your tunnels, your snow removal, all kinds of things. These are the people who, who make America run. And I got to be the opening keynote speaker, and then I stayed on for the whole four-day conference as the Master of Ceremonies. We had a really good time together. They invited me back the next year and the next year to be their Master of Ceremonies. And, and what I like about this organization is they didn't just invited me, invite me back. They challenged me. They said, we'd like to have you be the MC again, but you've got to change it up. You have to be better. You have to push yourself. You have to grow. And I like clients who are willing to push me, but at the same time, who are willing to say, let's play. One of the great things this year is, is that there, I wasn't even scripted. It just said in the script, Tom talks for four minutes. They're like, yeah, we, we don't know what you're going to say, but it'll be fine. So uh, I, I really like working with them. And Scott has been there only about that long. He started three and a half years ago as the executive director after coming out of IEEE, which is one of the largest associations out there. It's for electrical engineers, has 5,000 uh, I'm sorry, 500,000 members, and he was there for 27 years. Now, when you think of large associations like IEEE or APWA, you don't necessarily think entrepreneurship. These are associations that are 100 years old. You know, what are they doing in the world of associations that's different? Well, Scott's doing things that are different. He did things that were different in his last job. And I said, you've got to come on the show because entrepreneurship exists everywhere. This isn't just about IPOs or venture funding, you know, or selling something. It's really about finding ways to have that entrepreneurial spirit. So Scott Grayson, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for having me. And um, you are right. We wrote in the script. Say whatever you want, and uh, you you definitely rose to the occasion. So it, thank you. It's it been is a actually with you. Uh, it was a pleasure working with you too, and it is great when I get to go back for those second, third, and fourth years with organizations because they know me and I know them, and so we really do get to just you know we get to have a little bit more fun. That first year, I'm always a little bit nervous because I don't want to screw up, and they're like, "Who did we hire?" So, so it, it, it has been, it has been a fun relationship, but today I do want to talk about entrepreneurship in a world, in an industry associations mm -hmm. that people don't associate with that. So, so let's talk a little bit about, let's go back to your previous career. 
You have 500,000 people in an organization that was founded by Thomas Edison in the 1800s. That's not where we're thinking entrepreneurship. So how come you're so entrepreneurial? How come you're so entrepreneurial? (laughs) That's exactly right. So um, Thomas Edison was the one who actually started it. And when I started there in about 1990, we still had many of the structures, committees that were around when Edison and others started it. And what struck us is that you can't really run a business. And even though uh, most associations are called nonprofits, that's merely an IRS status. We really are a business with a heart, though, right? Uh, we, we all have a common cause, and that's why it's often a nonprofit. Not, nonprofit or not, you still have to pay the bills, and there has to be more money at the end of the month than less money, because eventually, if it's always less money, there, there, there's nobody paying the bills. That's exactly right. And, and honestly, there is a misnomer about what nonprofit means. We ha- happen to call it surplus rather than profit. So it, it's all about I- IRS status. And um, what we realized was as the internet emerged, this thing called World Wide Web, and back then actually it was called the superhighway, uh, that, that our members were starting to realize that they could find anything they wanted at any time online and that we were no longer the only place where they could find technical information. It was now online everywhere. Likewise, we, we had a lot of products and services and programs that provided career advice, employment help, and uh, a lot of other for-profit entities were emerging in those arenas. Well, you bring, up, so the, you bring up something that's really interesting because 10 and 15 years ago, the association world was a little bit nervous because a lot of them rely on these live events and a lot of their training in order to actually make the money that keeps them in a surplus. Uh, and that was like a really key thing. And I remember 15 years ago, as I was getting into this world, I was just becoming a speaker maybe 12 years ago. People were worried that annual meetings would go away because why would anybody spend the money to fly across the country and get a hotel when they could just log on and watch a video? And so this was a real big concern. Yeah. Now, we'll talk about this a little bit later too. The meetings business is thriving. It's bigger than it's ever been. So in a world where all that information's out there, people still want to gather. However, let's go back to what you were talking about. So people, the the world changed, the internet appeared and associations had to change. So what did you guys do? So we started looking at what we were offering the membership and we, uh, you know, most membership groups, you pay a flat rate and the membership organization provides you with products and services for that fee. And then also a lot, a lot of other ancillary products as well that members pay a member rate for. So we analyzed what were we offering for the member rate. And we realized that we had about a hundred different products and services that we, we were offering. And we were a very large group. We, we had about 1200 staff. Uh, you, you would say we had about 500,000 members worldwide. So with 1,200 staff, eight different operating units with each of their own boards of directors, all reporting up to one larger board of about 54 people, the very massive structure. And every group was offering some of these 100 different offers. And we as a staff group um, started analyzing that. And we surveyed the members 
on three areas. One, one was level of awareness, level of importance, and level of satisfaction. And then we plotted it uh, in quadrants and looked at, okay, where are these products and services plotting out to see uh, whether we truly needed all 100? Because if you have 100 and half nobody cares about, there's, there's not an awareness, there's not, it's not important, then it ends up diluting your other products. So basically, we, we employed great market study strategy, which most associations back then, you know, you'd have a committee of some volunteer leaders who say, I think we need product X. And that was a market research of one person. Ah. And then you'd move ahead and implement it. So, so we truly started using good business practices at that point. So thinking about this, though, I mean, that's a big that's not I mean, when you think of a 1200 staff, that's not, you know, entrepreneurial. I mean, that's a bureaucracy in, in a lot of aspects. So how do you get an organization to shift? I mean, you can't shrink the organization. You're still a big group. How do you get the people both from the, the, the board members and the volunteers and your staff? There had to have been something that you guys did as, as the world was changing. There had to be something you did to get your people to change. Well, and so that's a great question. And you're, you're right with, a, you know, 100 plus year old organization and 1200 staff. There's no way that every staff member and every group will be entrepreneurial. So I, I was part of our USA arm there. We lobbied in Washington and, and we handled career and employment products where members in the U.S. And we started expanding globally as well. Um, and, and so my purview was that operation. Within that operation, we were able to hire people who were entrepreneurial. And I mean, I also think hi hiring is very important um, to not just hire for the 100-year-old fit, but to look at different skills and qualities and bring people in from for-profit entities that, that had not grown up in the nonprofit world that could bring an infusion of, of new thought processes, of new business processes, and, and an openness for sharing. So we, we were able to hire well, and plus, um, to have that entrepreneurial spirit, uh, you want people having fun. You know, that, that's really what, what it's about. And so it's also about creating the environment to uh, show up at work every morning and say, hmm, what, what can I create? Now, we, we all have long lists of things we have to accomplish that, that aren't always fun. And so to create time and space to think creatively. Uh, for me, it's when, when I run, you know, in the mornings. Um, I try to not think about work when I'm running, but, but at the start of my run, I'm thinking creatively. I don't have distractions of phones or email. And, and I try to spread that where I am now at APWA as well. Well, it's interesting. You talk about, you know, letting your mind kind of go when you run. I took up running three years ago. I was kind of late. I, I, I never had run a mile in my entire life until I was 50 years old. Uh, and now I run about 10 to 12 miles a week. Uh, I'd run a half marathon. I'm, wow. I'm, 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 I'm going to say it now. I'm committed to running another half marathon. God save me. 
Um, although I will say that after you run a half marathon, all your friends who are runners say, now that you've run a half, you're going to want to run a hole. Oh yeah. They're, Everybody says you got to run the hole. They're lying. I have no interest whatsoever to run a hole, but I, <laughs> but I am committed that I'm going to run another half, but, uh, I do the same thing. I went the other way. Actually, I, I started with a marathon. I said, you know, that was great, but a half is perfect. Perfect. Yeah, no, I'm totally good with the half. <laughs> but but I, I wrote, I came up three years ago with this entire new product line I have where I talk about the gap between potential and performance and mm. the concept. I mean, I did research and surveys, but the concept for it came up from the interviews on this podcast, but then thoughts that came while I was running mm. after I would interview somebody, I would think about something they said about their team and getting their managers and their employees, you know, to cross this gap. And I actually attribute run. I don't think that I would have this, which is most of my business. I don't think I would have this entire offering if I hadn't become a runner because I wrote it. on. Oh, my that's runs. great. That's great. So what was the outcome then of making these changes, both both culturally and, you know, in other ways at IEEE? What were the, what were the results then? Well, actually, um, we, with the emergence of the internet and World Wide Web, we, we started looking at ways of reaching membership in that way. There, there had been a long history of we'd stuff a lot of envelopes. We'd have all our staff lining up. It didn't matter what level you, you read. Everyone was out in, in the cubicle hallway area stuffing envelopes because that was the only way that we could communicate with membership. Um, you know, there, there was, when, when we reminisce about the old days, everyone in that era had stuffed and envelopes. But then with internet, it's like, wow, we're, we're able to reach a lot more people with uh, a lot less expensive, much faster. And with, with that, we launched um, an auto response file. So like now, if you're out of the office, you have an out of the office email. So if anyone emails you, it responds said, sorry, I'm, I'm away. We utilized that technology, created uh, really, in essence, one of the first online employment sites. So, so we would put up as an auto-response file uh, a list of job openings for electrical engineers, and people would hit that email, and then an email would send them openings. Once World Wide Web launched, we, we launched one of the first uh, online web Sites. And I recall uh, there was this uh, rater of websites. They, they would rate them. And uh, ours was, uh, they said, a lot like oatmeal. Not pretty to look at, but hearty. And so it was <laughs> those kinds of things. And, and it generated revenue as, as well. So it was not only helping our membership, but then it was also bringing in non Dues revenue that we could then use and put back into helping membership with other products and services. So if we fast forward to, you know, 2019, yes. 2020, you know, this era, I mean, that type of stuff is, is pretty modern, but you guys were out in front as far as being a big association. You guys were, you know, out there ahead of a lot of the association world because the association world was very slow to adopt a lot of this, you know, new technology. Cause again, it scared them because it thought, Oh no, our resources rely on our trainings and our, our, uh, our, you know, our meetings, you know, the internet could screw that up. So what was it like to be out in front in an industry, especially when you're a giant bureaucracy founded by Thomas Edison? 
Well, that's a great question. So uh, re- really a mixture. Um, it scared board members. It scared staff. It scared the other operating units with, within the overall institute. Um, and, and there was a group of us from every operating unit um, that, that was really pushing the envelope on how, how do we really do new things that, that will move that needle, you know, um, to really wow the membership, to also generate revenue, to be out, out ahead of other for-profits. We, we rarely benchmark against other nonprofits. We benchmark against for-profits. And that really made, made us work harder and push and learn good business skills. Um, but then, I mean, if we are speaking about an entrepreneurial spirit, we also realized that, okay, so we had one hit with the online employment site. Uh, what's next? And, and so we were always looking and, and we were always challenging one, one another. And it was actually a little competitive, you know, who would come up with the next great thing? Uh, but some failed, you know, you, the, the beauty of the environment where I work and, and what I'm working on creating now at AWA is it's okay to fail. Um, but, but, and everybody uses that phrase, fail, but very quickly, you know. Fail, fa- move, fail move fast. On. That's right. Fail fast. Fail is fast. The, that, that's right. Well, exactly. failure is a big part of entrepreneurship, and a lot of people can't stomach it. I mean, we're, we're a society in general where, you know, when you meet somebody and you say, hey, you know, how are things going? People rarely say, oh, I just lost a bunch of money or I just made a bad yeah. stock pick. <laughs> you know, I mean, people will tell you what they did right, right. you know, but that's people right. don't tell you, hey, I failed. And yet I've interviewed hundreds of entrepreneurs and sometimes on the show, sometimes just when we're chatting, like afterwards, they're like, well, I don't want to say this online, but let me tell you. I had one guy tell me that he goes, you know, you're interviewing me because of this company. He goes, but my first company lost $25 million of venture funding. He goes, this is my fourth company where he was really successful. And he goes, do you know who funded me? He goes, you lose $25 million when you're like 28 years old. You think I'm done, right? I'm, I'm, who's going to ever back me again? He goes, do you know who backed my second company? The same investors. And he said, uh-huh. and he goes, and the reason was when we sat down and debriefed the loss of 25 million, he goes, and by the way, that's never a good, it's never a good meeting. He goes, they, you know, they asked me what I thought happened. He goes, and I owned it. And he goes, that's one of the things you have to do when you're right. taking risks is when you fail, you have to take ownership. You have to stand up and say, I screwed up and here's what I learned from it. And he goes, and they invested in my next companies. And so, you know, that's an interesting thought when you talk about fail fast, because again, love the association world. It's my, my bread and butter. But I don't think that association executives and the people who work in associations literally lead with, here's what we tried and failed. And so, you know, how can the association world learn from entrepreneurship then? So great. Um, we, we happen to have a great board of directors. A lot of them are public works directors, city managers around Canada and the United States. Uh, we, we have private uh, and engineering firm people. So a great mix of public and private. Uh, and they bring a wealth of knowledge and experience. They, the ones that work in the public sector, they've got budgets like nonprofits. There's not, there's not a lot of risk that's involved because you're beholden to the public. 
But but even in the public sector, in public works departments around the world, people are being entrepreneurial there. You know, um, budgets are uh, very tight. And so how do you plow as many streets as you can as fast as possible with less resource, right? So they're coming up with, with new ways of making that happen uh, and, and a whole host of other innovative technologies. And so, you know, if you have limited resources, that can also push you in to being more, more entrepreneurial. So you made the move three and a half years ago over to APWA. And again, public works isn't one I'd say, boy, there's, there's entrepreneurship for you. Like you said, city employees have, they're, they're responsible to the public and this and that. And yet I've spent a lot of time with you and with your staff. I think you guys do a great job of really kind of trying to make sure, at least for the conference, I don't know the rest of your world, but your conference is a big part of your association. A lot of people come to it. You do a really good job of being really focused on your customer's experience. So yeah. so often when I see uh, associations make decisions, it's like, oh, we're we're not going to, I don't well, I'll use me as an example. We're not going to hire a professional MC. We'll just get a board member to do it because that would save us a lot of money. And it's like, oh, wait, that decision that decision isn't made for the the client experience. That's made to save a couple dollars. And yet your people always seem to be willing to push the envelope a little bit. Was it that way before you got there? Is that something you've helped instill? Well, I think they, they've always brought in great speakers. Uh, a few years ago, though, they, they really rebranded our large annual meeting in trade show it was called the congress and they changed the branding called it pwx with flashy graphics and exciting uh websites and great speakers and what one of the real issues and this goes back to what you started speaking about earlier about with the advent of internet and meeting online you know what we, we all wondered what would happen with those in-person meetings. What, what we've learned is, is that people still want that and still need that and want to network. And um, we, we really, my staff and I really feel very strongly about creating the experience. What, what I've learned in my years of working in the association world is that you really, um, you have to show value. Uh, otherwise, you will lose your membership. But even more importantly, you have to create the experience. And so, you know, we spend money on bringing in speakers. Uh, but what ends up happening is that everybody who um, is at our show will end up leaving and say, I can't believe what a great speaker I heard. I can't believe how many great educational workshops I was in. And that spreads that word. A lot of membership associations focus on how many. How many members how many, and, and boards of directors push their staff on that? And I've said in our board agrees is that if you create great value and you create great experiences, those numbers will grow on their own because people want to share the experience. And that's happened um, o- over the last three years. When I started, we, we were at about 28,000 members. Now we're 
30,574. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's, you know, that, 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 but that is, that is true. When, when you provide, this is, doesn't matter what kind of business you are. If you provide something good, people want to be part of it. I mean, that's, you know, that, that's the right. basics, the basics of it. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm not pandering because you're my client. You guys have done a really good job. When I see the decisions that you make, it is at that conference. It is all about how do we make this experience better? And that comes, you know, in, in how they work with me, both in giving me free reign and in wheeling me in saying, Hey, mm-hmm. we're, we're running long. You're cutting that section. You right. know, and it's right. like, okay, you know, I, I understand that that decision isn't made that, oh, we don't think that section's good. That decision's made that we got to get these people out on their break so they can use the bathroom, have their coffee and get to their education sessions. Exactly. And they're thinking of that constantly as the show is moving along, you know, your people are looking at that. And that is, is something entrepreneurs do. I mean, an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about fail fast, but another thing that entrepreneurs have to be is nimble. Because in the middle of serving a client and doing a project as a small business, whether you're in tech or whatever, something can change. You know, you can't crawl up in a ball in, in the corner. You've got to be able to flex as you go as, thing, as things are happening. So I think you do a good job. But the other thing is, we talked earlier, I brought it up that associations were nervous that meetings might go away. 2019 is going to be the biggest year ever in the live meeting industry, which includes associations, but other types of groups have meetings. And it's because, just like you said, people want to connect. Mm-hmm. There's there's a very interesting uh, uh, study that there was an article in the Harvard Business Review about two years ago by the former Surgeon General. His name is uh, Dr. Vivek Murte. And he wrote an article called The Epidemic of Loneliness. And he talked about that we're in this world where we have Twitter and Facebook and yeah, LinkedIn right. and YouTube. People are supposed to be more connected. We have likes, links, shares, and follows. And yet people are more lonely than they've ever been. So people are hungry for this. And that's where I think associations who are doing it right, they are providing a place for people to have community with like-minded people who have similar jobs. And you can't get that because you're connected to somebody on LinkedIn a thousand miles away. You have to sit there at the function, go to that you know, breakout session with them, go to that happy hour, whatever it is, and talk. That's exactly right. And, you know, we hear that over and over. We've got about 63 chapters all over North America. And at these annual meetings, um, they're all there speaking about best practices and trying to understand how, how to really create a great quality of life for their residents wherever they're working on a limited budget and not a lot of resources. And, and so as we were speaking earlier about entrepreneurship, you must be very entrepreneurial. And so uh, you can have webinars, with, which are great. We, we offer a lot of web, webinars and we offer a lot of education online. But that can't be, um, you know, that, that in-person interaction can't be replaced. We thought it could be year, years ago. We said, okay, so we, we can save a lot of money on travel and lodging and flights and the expense of holding a meeting and do it all online and people were really yearning and and i think that's why in this last year there's been an explosion when at least the economy has stabilized 08 and 09 were hard for everybody and now that people have a little more in their budgets for training and education uh they see the value in it so, Scott, I've got a couple of more questions for you. But yeah. first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode, it's brought to you by Podfly Productions. 
Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. They do all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you could focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing real cool people like Scott Grayson. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of the show. And I have worked with them since episode number one, and they also do the production for the other podcast I hope I host for the Digital Enterprise Society, uh, which is another client of mine where I have spoken for them. I now host their a co-host their podcast, and Podfly is their editor too because they are so good to work with. I wanted to make sure that on my other project they were there too. So check out Podfly.net. So Scott, I call this show "Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do." So let's sort of unpack your advice for the association world or any group that maybe has a little bit of a reputation for maybe not being entrepreneurial. What advice as a leader do you have for people? So a few things. One, one is um, associations historically, 100 years, um, they don't like risk. And, and that's very understandable. You are collecting membership dues. You want to use their money in the best way possible. The problem is, is this balancing act uh, of using their money responsibly, but then also in order to really create cool things, you know, if you will, um, and, and really wow the members that you have, you have to try new things and you have to risk. So it's re- really a balance between being being smart about your risk and really pushing the envelope. The other thing I would say is I, I hold meetings among our staff at, after we've had mistakes or problems or a launch did not work how we thought it would. And, and we really go over um, what, what could we have known? And, and I say in our staff meetings a lot, you have to think about what you don't know, you don't know, you don't know. And, and if we think about what we don't know, we don't know, we don't know, you start kind of connecting the dots about how things are interrelated and, and what we actually could be if we start thinking that way. Um, and, and then also we have, uh, issues or problems that we want to solve that maybe there aren't any solutions that we know of. And, and I personally have to find that uh, really fun, you know, to not know what it will look like on the other side, but kind of work with that problem out. And so to spread that um, culture with, within our office, we also experiment with, with improv. We'll, play some improv games as well. It definitely takes people out of their comfort zone at work, but then everybody starts laughing and it's fun. And I mean, as you, you well know, purpose of improv is being nimble and agile and not um, presupposing what the outcome will be. It's just kind of working on the fly. Well, I so took- those are some of the things. Well, as you know, I took up stand-up comedy at age 51, and so for the last yeah. year, year and a half, I've been doing that, and, 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 and your director of meetings actually told me after this year, she said, you are better as an MC 
because you've done at the time, I think it was 70 open mic nights. It's now as of the time we record this, it's 83. But she said, you know, she goes, I can tell. And she talked oh, about yeah. the fact that, you know, what you do with improv and stuff. She goes, it really does push the envelope. And she goes, and you can tell. And her words were, I was more playful in my role as MC. And one of the things that right. I've, I've taken in through my study of improv and now comedy is one of the things I tell people is, is that what you get with me is upfront preparation and on-site spontaneity. But that's not just for a speaker or an MC. That's really something you have to have in everyone, don't you think, is sort of that on-site spontaneity. And when I say on-site, I don't necessarily mean at a conference. I mean in your office. I mean, that's part of being entrepreneurial, yes? No, that's an excellent point. And so many workplaces, for-profit or non-profit, you were hired for a job. And they're, they're often um, a laundry list of things that you must work on and things you have to accomplish each week, each month, each year. And so to infuse that entrepreneurial spirit in, in there is, is really the hardest challenge. And so you, you need good leaders. I, I have a great leadership team of uh, eight directors of each of our different departments and each one of them is entrepreneurial. And so if we can create an environment in our workplace that, that really encourages that, I, I really am starting to see that flourish. So what advice do you have for leaders in the association world, or again, any industry, I guess, who come in as the executive director or CEO, if it's, if, if it's a uh, for-profit, come into those types of roles into an organization that's been around a hundred years. I mean, you came in three years ago and part of the reason I assume you were hired is because you have this entrepreneurial spirit. You have this, let's try new things, you know, shtick about you. But how do you do that as a leader who comes into an established organization? So when I started, I wanted to learn as much as possible and met with, with every department, with all of the staff and would try to learn about what everyone is wor working on. I would often ask, um, so why do we do it that way? And unfortunately, in many uh, workplaces, you end up hearing, I don't know, that's the way we've always done it. And, and that would be the wrong answer. And so I, I would challenge our staff to think about, well, it, if it's working, great, is it? And if the answer is no, I would say, well, you're the expert in this area. Let, let us know what you would recommend as far as uh, how we might change the process, how we might enhance it, what, what, haven't, what aren't we looking at, what haven't we looked at. And, and we want your input. I mean, it didn't mat matter who the person was at every level. Uh, we, we have a staff met member who works in our warehouse and fulfills orders of mugs and shirts and books. And we said, you're the expert on this. We want to know, is that process working? And if it's not, let, let us know and we'll help find you the appropriate resources or the appropriate software. And so that, that happens at every level. And the more and more you start speaking about that, it sort of becomes an affection. Like everyone is trying to challenge the norms. And there, there was that word out there for a while about being disruptive in, in a positive way. 
Um, and, and that's okay, you know, to challenge norms. Well, and you've challenged the norm probably. I don't think there's probably a lot of executive directors in large associations who now work remotely. You, you Three years ago, you moved to Kansas City, where the association is based, and you've now moved back to Minnesota. So that's kind of an entrepreneurial thing to have the leader not in the office. Can you, can you share a little bit of the experience of, of making that transition? Right. Well, if my board listens in on this podcast, I wouldn't say I'm not in the office. Um, <laughs> I spend about a week a month in our Kansas City office, and I spend a week a month in our Washington, D.C. office. Um, I, I had a long history of working remotely, actually, when I worked at IEEE. I, I was one of the first hundred remote workers in the United States, we believe. I started that in 1995, and that you're you're right. It was an entrepreneurial way. How would I make this work? I used to lobby up on the hill back then, and that was unheard of to live outside of the beltway and lobby. But through technology, it's possible, and um, and and also really making sure I listen and am interactive and ask the right questions of staff, even though I'm not physically there in the office. So I approached that with my board of directors and they said unanimously, yes, we think you're able to handle it. If And, and it's new. It started in August. And we also said, you know, it, it, if it's not working, we'll relook at it. But so far it's working well. And um, we, we re- really, I don't think we've missed a step. Nice. Nice. Well, I think, you know, like I said, I think pushing that envelope and trying new things, I think that's how organizations grow. I think in a way, you know, it empowers your staff because they, you know, they have to, you know, I know, I know from watching you, you know, you give them that, you know, that authority to make the decisions in their areas and, you know, they're going to have to do it if you're not always right there. So I think that that's probably a, in a lot of ways, it's probably a positive experiment for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. I mean, we, when, when I am in our office in Kansas City, um, I have one-on-one meetings with each of my directors. I have an all-staff meeting. So at, everybody's there and I'm there in person. And then we, we also, when I'm in person, either in Kansas City or Washington, D.C., we also have a leadership team meeting, which, by the way, we, we uh, have retreats. And a lot about what we speak about at the retreats focuses on entrepreneurship. Where do we want to be in three years? Um, the other thing that, that we've implemented over the last three years is about six months after I started, we went through a strategic planning process, which all groups um, experience. My issue was I, I been through those over the years and you work really hard and you fly people in and you create it and then nobody ever looks at it anymore. And so I made sure that we, we all lived and breathed it. And then through that, we created a great strategic plan that speaks about being the voice of public works, showing the value of public works, being, uh, showing excellence in education, and then also creating a great member experience. And, and through that, we try to align everything we work on. Many other groups, have scope creep 
They're like, oh, I think we should try this. I think we ought to do. And our board and, and I say, unless it aligns with one of the four major goals, we, we won't work on that. And that's worked incredibly well. And even though you have structure with that, it, it, it also allows for creativity and entrepreneurship. But at least you have that framework and structure. I think you'll you'll always need that. It's not it shouldn't be a free for all because then you have chaos and you're all over the place without any alignment. So on a scale of one to ten, the world of associations, not the two that you've worked at, but the world of associations in this idea of being entrepreneurial or intrapreneurial or whatever you want to call it, one to ten, where do you think most associations fall? So I'm, I'm at the ASA meeting every year, and I'm at a couple of other groups with other association CEOs, and we speak about it a lot. I, I'd say most of the CEOs right now uh, of this era, and I'd say not when I started in the mid-80s, uh, are very entrepreneurial. The struggle and hurdle becomes the board, and the board's uh, flexibility or inflexibility. And, um, you know, what, one of the other issues about managing a board and working with, with them is really speaking with your incoming president and, and saying, look, your year will move really rapidly. What, what one or two things would you like to accomplish while you're in that role? And uh, get really focused about that. And, and help him or her achieve what they want. But then also, um, you know, our board meetings, when, when I was being interviewed, they said, so what's your style about helping run board meetings? I said, well, I don't like meetings. And there was silence. I, I said, and, and I don't like reports. Um, anything you can read in a report, we can post up on the web and you're able to read. Let's be very strategic and let's have strategic discussions about how we move the association forward in the next three or five years. Um, and so that that's how we're mo- moving ahead. And I encourage my peers to have those kinds of discussions with their boards as well and make them feel comfortable that, yeah, it's okay to risk, not be crazy about risk. We're, we won't bring it IPO or any of that, but, um, you know, to experiment. And experimenting is fine. Nice. So do you think then that we're going to see a lot more of boards coming along and, and saying, okay, it's time to, to, to embrace this? Is that something that we think in the world of associations is going to become more and we're going to see people get uh, more experience-related? Well, I'll be blunt about that. Um, the... The answer is yes, we must be. Otherwise, the uh, associations that, that aren't agile and aren't entrepreneurial won't be around anymore. I mean, as I said, when, when we started here, that, um, you know, a lot of them are over 100 years old and some are still using the same structures and models from the era of Edison. Um, there are so many other competitive forces out there and with the emergence of internet people can find anything they want when, whenever they want so how do you 
create the value and the experience that no one else is able to offer to create that niche market. And so boards must, um, you know, wake up and become more entrepreneurial. Last question. And that has to do with these generations. The millennials are full force in, right? The oldest millennials are almost 40 years old. So, you know, they're not young anymore. No, no offense to any 40 year olds who are listening, but you know, it's, it's, you're you're pretty well established uh, in who you are at that point. But, you know, we've got this whole generation Z just getting out of college for the first time now and things like that. And there was a lot of predictions that, oh, they're not joiners. They won't join. I see some associations that have thriving young professionals arms and others who can't get anybody under 40 to show up at their meetings. What do you think the Delta is in that? Oh, well, I love that whole uh, area of discussion. Um, so we are really improving. I, I have a board of directors who are not just paying lip service and saying, oh, we really should get younger met members. We, we actually... Um, just approved new bylaws that will put term limits on people on our board of directors. And one of the rationale was really aimed at that. It's like, if we keep staying for 12 years, we can't ever open up any spots for the younger people moving in and up. There, there is this notion in many associations that you have to, um, you know, earn your, You've got to move up in the ranks and, and especially that age group in the millennial era, um, they don't want to wait. And, and I would argue that many of them are ready. Um, and, and even if they're not ready, they bring a, a really different viewpoint and aspects that people who grew up in the boomer area, area, um, do not have. Well, I did a, a breakout session at your event about mentorship, and I didn't know if anyone was going to come. And we had a full room, and a big chunk of them were younger members who were hungry for mm-hmm. how do I get you know how do I get someone to help show me the way because they don't want to wait. They you know they're like how do I find someone to help guide me through the process? And they were engaged and they were there. So you're you're obviously doing something right because we had a lot of fun in that session. Well, we, we've actually started uh, a year, a year and a half ago, we started a young professionals national committee and our structure is we, we have nine regions. We're ranged by region. And so we, we have one representative from every region and their role is to get um, uh, other YPs as we call them from every chapter and start growing that network. We're also speaking about uh, really creating programming aimed at them. Having said that, what I have found over the years is that uh, YPs, yes, they want their own time and their own workshops, but they are working in public works or engineering like everyone else is. So, you know, it's not, not that it's not appropriate what we're offering, but we, we want to provide them an opportunity for them to uh, network with one another, too. Well, Scott, we ran long on this, and this has been a lot okay. of fun. No, you I think I, no, want. we're not going to edit it. We're, we're, there's too much okay. good. There's too much good information in the in the discussion. We're not going to edit it. But uh, I do want to give you a chance. Is there any last words you have on this topic you'd like to share with everybody? 
Well, I think that for the future of the world of associations, uh, it, it really is critical that we are entrepreneurial or intrapreneurial, as we spoke about er- earlier. It doesn't mean you have to find angels um, and uh, be radical or high risk, but just kind of challenge the norms and, and ask questions about why and think about what we don't know that we don't know and and constantly ask and and then you also have to ask your membership as well what what is it that you want what will provide you value what will help you in your workplace and then create the great experiences that you've experienced at pwx well, Scott, it's been a lot of fun having you on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much. If, if someone wants to find you, they're like, I, I need to know more about this guy. H- how do they find Scott Grayson? Well, I've got an email, which is sgrayson, which is S-G-R-A-Y-S-O-N at A-P-W-A dot N-E-T, net. It's not an org. It's a net. <laughs> A-P-W-A dot net. Hey, thank you again. Like I said, thank you so much. It's, it's been fun to work with you the last few years, and it's been fun. I, too, I, I consider you a friend, and, and I think you do a great job. So thanks for sharing with everybody here. Thanks so much, Tom. This was great. And thanks to everybody who tuned in. I say it after every show. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we do this? So if you like cool things entrepreneurs do, jump over to Apple iTunes and leave a review and subscribe. But more importantly, go tell a friend. Most people who listen to the show tell me they found it because someone told them to listen to the show. So uh, go tell your friends because uh, we're looking to continue to grow the community. You can find us on all the social medias. I am just at Tom Singer, T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R. Also, there is a Facebook page for Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do and its own Twitter account at Cool Podcast because we're the Cool Podcast. We're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Scott Grayson. I know you're thinking, what? How will that be? Happens every time, though. Uh, But in the meantime, go out there. Be entrepreneurial. Find a way to push yourself a little bit. Uh, Try new things. And while you're at it, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>